When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin. I'm BJ. And today's episode it is the final Dragon Quest XI character spotlight that we're doing. And it is on the Luminary, the big hero from the game. The yes. Luminary himself. So, as usual, there are going to be spoilers ahead. Hey, you remembered. I did remember. <laughs> I made a note this time. <laughs> I was like, I'm g- I need to announce that there's going to be spoilers uh, before we get too far into it. So the Luminary, he's our hero, uh, which means like pretty much every Dragon Quest hero. He's going to use swords, maybe great swords, shields, uh, and even quite a bit of magic along the way. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I thought from playing this that he he's super OP in this game. Yeah, like he's, he is. He's got heals, he's got really strong magic, he's got like these crazy sword abilities, and part of me even feels like he may be too powerful. He makes the game pretty easy. I mean, not not knocking it because I like him, but uh, having the, like, usually the main characters are a little more powerful. Like they have uh, they have a, a benefit because like they're the chosen one, but the luminary is like really strong from the very beginning of this game, really hardcore strong. Yeah, I mean i I had set I think it was what's the guy Tim Rogers that does uh, that did the big Dragon uh-huh. Quest Eleven uh, review video for yep. Kotaku that like got a whole bunch of views and everybody loves. Yep. Where even on there, I believe uh, he talks about how like the the luminary is a is maybe just a little too powerful. <laughs> like he he is one of the most powerful RPG heroes that I can think of, just in terms of the things that he can do. I'm thinking he might even be the first person in the party to get a uh, resurrection spell to get Zing. Uh, I think he gets it before the priest, doesn't he? Does he? I can't. I can't I think remember. So honestly, I guess it just depends on what level you're at when you get to to the healers and stuff. Mm, that's true. I mean, I think maybe I was because I'm fairly certain in this last playthrough that uh, that I did when I swapped over to Switch that he uh, had res he had Zing before all the others, and I was like, my God, this guy! I just need him. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I I'd have to look that up or think back on it because I can't remember. I know. I mean, I know he learns heal early on, but pretty much yeah. every hero in a Dragon Quest game learns heal before, uh, before their time. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's so they don't die before you get party members. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about him in combat. That's usually where we right. start with these with these episodes. I actually played differently with him between PS4 and Switch versions of the game. Not many right. characters. I didn't do that with many characters, uh, but I actually used him with great swords on PS4 because. You know this about me. I'm all about some like heavy hitting, like physical yep. damage in games. I didn't like though, because later on when you can get like, uh, like the hero shield and mm-hmm. all of this stuff and the sword of light, 
I didn't like that that it didn't cause nearly as much damage as the great swords. And I didn't, I still went with my great swords, but I didn't like that. So I tried to get used to fighting with him using the like long swords and shields right. uh, on the switch version. He still wasn't as powerful. I feel like he was still way more powerful at keeping him with those great swords um, than the long swords and shields, but I did play it differently. And it was basically just for aesthetic purposes. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up playing with him dual wielding most of the time. Once I was able to unlock it, I basically grabbed Falcon Blades and Falcon slashed my way dual wielding through everything that I expected to go with great swords because that's what I did starting out on uh, on the PC version. But I absolutely uh, swapped over to dual wielding. I thought it looked cool. He did just uh, insane amounts of damage like I loved doing it. And usually I don't like Falcon Blades. Usually I don't like the uh, the splitting up of the attacks. But for some reason in this one, I just just, you know, destroyed stuff with it. And like like you said about healer because of your, you know, party members you got to heal yourself but i also used him as like the the caster and the healer like for the early parts of the game like and even later in the game i used some of his big moves that he had you know zap yeah things like that i mean i i remember using those you know quite often and sometimes it was just even when i was like grinding levels right i would set the tactics to everyone including the hero Mm. (laughs) uh to like show no mercy and would just let the game like fight out battles and stuff you know i don't think i've ever put the hero on show no mercy oh really yeah i don't think so i don't know why for it's one of those things where i i rarely put auto all the way through in a dq game there are games like Bravely Default where I love having it so that I can grind on auto, uh, setting up the you know the way that I use my uh, default system, the defaults. But I can't remember the last time I did it with all of the characters in a DQ game on auto. Yeah, I, I do it. I don't know why. Yeah, I usually do it when I'm trying to get, just get quick level gains and stuff. Right. Like, um, like I know I did it in seven. Uh, to get up vocation levels, mm-hmm. and then I did it quite a bit with eight when you're on Slime Hill, right? Uh, and Dragon Quest eight, and then it's nine, right? That has Slime Hill. Nine does have another Slime Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah over there by Angel Falls. Yep. Um, and so, um, like I did it in those games, and then eleven, it was kind of like, you know, we use I used the uh, the pet power like we talked mm-hmm. about back in our like tips and tricks episode, but but yeah, overall, I mean, I would just use it to like grind up stuff or then, you know, there are sometimes in that game, I would just be so like far leveled or so good (laughs) that I would just, I would just have it set that way. That way I didn't even have to worry about fighting myself while I was just walking through like story points. I understand that. And I mean, it is easier. It was easier for me on switch because I mean, naturally it's my second time playing all the way through the game. I think, I think for everybody, the second time playing through something is like, is it going to be easier? <laughs> yeah, it, it should be, unless you're playing it on a different difficulty. Yeah, that's true. So outfits. Right. Uh, the Luminary, he's got my favorite outfit in the whole game. Does he? Which one is that? Yeah, it's uh, Erdwin's, all of Erdwin's outfit. Really? Yeah, I really like the color scheme with that. It looks kind of like, uh, you know, the hero from 3, Erdrich. Mm-hmm. It looks like that, but the... Um, but like the color scheme is a little bit different and I kind of like the color scheme changes that they did Yeah. Uh, for Erdwin. And as soon, you don't get that until really, really late in the game. But as soon as I got it in um, both my playthroughs of the game, I always 
equipped him with that immediately and, and kept him in that. Yeah, it, it does look really cool. Like, it's not my favorite in the game or anything, but I know I kept him in it for a good long time. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's got to be my favorite in the game. I can't think of an outfit for anybody else that I was just like, man, this one's even cooler. I was really excited whenever I started the PC version because of getting the Trodane, the uh, the DQ8 outfit, uh, because it was just something I'd come off of playing 8 fairly soon uh, before that. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is really neat. And when I was playing through it with that, I got really, really tired of it. I'm like, I just played an entire game looking like this. I don't want to do this again and ended up keeping him in the Fugitive a bunch uh, as I played through it. But uh, Savior of the Sand the one that you get uh from horse racing uh i love that outfit the uh the turquoise and yellow kind of tunic with the red cape i just thought it looked super cool so i kept him in that a lot during the game yeah i liked that one a lot i think i kept him in it longer uh on my ps4 playthrough uh because really with ps4 it was like i was experimenting with all the different outfits and by the time i got to switch i knew the outfits that i liked best on the characters and the Luminary was another one of those characters that I just liked their standard outfit mm-hmm. best. I like, you know, the purple, purple, like tunic and pants he's got, the like green boots, yep. just the whole like outfit that he has it is, is very cool, you know? And I like, I like also that it kind of toys around with the idea because, you know, Dragon Quest villains usually have that color scheme. Yeah. Uh, so I like that they toy with that because, you know, is he the dark spawn? Yep. And I remember like I didn't follow this game when it was first coming out in Japan. Like I didn't actually know about Eleven until fairly soon before its re- initial release in America. And I then went back and read a bunch of stuff where there was tons of when they first released his when they first released his images and showed what he looked like, that people were uh, were curious about the color scheme on him, like why he was using uh, and wearing villain colors yeah so um i i I vaguely uh remember that i mostly because i did keep up with it um i texted you about looking forward to dragon quest 11 you just don't remember it way before it maybe so yeah because i i it was yeah (laughs) but but yeah i uh the the biggest thing i remember uh is people talking about the hair which we're gonna get to in a little Uh, while because we got a whole thing about hair we got to talk about uh but just getting back to the outfits yeah the the Savior of the Sands was a good one. I really like the parade outfit. Um, my problem... Oh, don't do that. Stop. The parade outfit. I love the parade outfit. My, the reason I don't keep him in the parade outfit too much is because uh, if... They may have fixed this for the Switch. I don't know. But on PS4, if you equipped him with the parade outfit, he constantly did his dance the whole time you're running around. Really? I don't remember that, but maybe... Like you would stop and he's still like waving his hand in the air and doing the little dance every time you would stop and you would keep going. And so for me, I just kind of got like tired of it. Understandable. um, After him doing that on the PS4. So I didn't, maybe it's something that eventually stops. I don't know. But like 30 minutes after I had equipped him with it on PS4, I was like, yeah, this dancing is getting like too distracting. (laughs) Which, which makes sense. Like I didn't like the outfit. So I left him in it for just a, just a little bit. And then I was like, no, I'm done. Like, I don't remember that at all because I, I changed him out of it after just a couple of fights. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I like that one, but like I said, the standard outfit, the purple and everything was my favorite. And then eventually after you get, you know, unlock all of Erdwin's stuff, mm-hmm. I equipped him with that because I thought that stuff was, 
was pretty cool too. Yeah, now I like the uh, armor that he had the uh, the Erdwin's armor or Irwin's armor, Edwin's armor, his dad's armor, and Irwin. Irwin yeah, Irwin. I liked that stuff, but I didn't keep him in it nearly as much uh, because I had I would go back to Hendrick wearing the wearing the armor, and I didn't want just two knightly armored up characters. Yeah, I never really liked the Irwin's armor all that much because it like covers up so much of mm-hmm. him. It's just like I feel like I'm running around as just like this clanky metal robot. Right. And I just didn't like it. Although the Switch version, they do have like an alternate color. Yeah, they do. Uh, for you, which I like even less. <laughs> I don't I don't like that weird. That like, purpley green. Sheen. Sheen. Yeah. Yeah. I liked like a, it. I like the look of it. I don't think I ever got it in game, but I like it in the pictures that I saw. Yeah, not not my thing. So speaking of outfits, uh, let's mosey on over to Twitter <laughs> and hear why other people said they liked the Luminary. And outfits, the reason for the segue is because outfits uh, were a big reason. Mm. Two people I want to mention specifically, Carmen and Gutrude, both said they liked his outfit. Uh, Carmen uh, specifically said the parade outfit was nice and Gutrude uh, drew attention to the quote uh, Gucci green boots. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Gamer Prince 1999 said not many people notice it, but he does develop as a character. In Act One, he's kind of treated like a wimp, but in Act Two, after he overcomes his darkest memory, he's noticeably more confident. And even Jade mentions he's changed when you recruit her again in Act Two, right. which we're going to talk about later on when we get to story stuff too. Uh, and then. Brad said he actually technically has a speaking role. Yeah. Uh, another th- important thing we're going to talk about in today's episode. Thanks to meeting his six-year-old self, he's revealed to be a bit of a troublemaker, which I like to believe he might still be somewhat. He definitely still would have that accent. Though. Mm. Um, and, t- you know, because he's British. <laughs> <laughs> and then Frost Panther 128 said, I love his design. Originally, I hated his hairstyle. But over time, he grew on me as a character. I especially love the walk cycle he does from wearing the Mardi Gras outfit, which I just complained right. about. But I'm glad that they like it. Um, and I do like the outfit. And I do like the hair. Here's where I got to talk about the hair. Let's talk <laughs> about that hair. So, so Alenzia and Taloon, they were two people that got back to us, and they said they hate the yeah, hair. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Or at least don't like it. You've said you hated yep. the hair. Uh, I've heard a lot of people complain about the hair. Going back to like E3, like 2015, right? I want to say, um, I remember when uh, they showed off the hero for uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, uh, like in gameplay footage and stuff. And I remember, you know, when you watch like live E3 stuff, you can see comments uh-huh. from people over in the side. And I remember so many people just like trashing his hair and being like, oh, that guy would be cool if you didn't have such wiener hair. He does have wiener hair. I really hope they let you change the hairstyle, like all this stuff. But I love the hair. I've always loved the yeah. hair. And to me, to me, to me, it, it's it's some iconic hair. You know, you have you have the Rachel in the mid nineties. <laughs> you have you have Jared Leto at like the twenty fourteen Oscars, uh. and then you have and then you have the Luminary with his you know shiny, beautiful, like somehow oddly even locks. Man, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. It just looks so. I don't know. I guess it's because I like the the typical Toriyama style hair that this one just like oh this is bland. It's like he has a he has long, uh, uh, preternaturally even hair. Yeah. See, I don't know. I get really sick of like the whole like 
like heroes with just spiky hair kind of thing that like every JRPG yeah. has. So, and my Dragon Quest, like the hero designs I love in Dragon Quest are always the heroes that don't look like that. You know, like I love the Prince of, of Middenhall yeah. in Dragon hey, Quest 2 that, oh that has the pilot's hat, hat and the goggles. I know I, the ones that I like are the ones you hate, I, but I like the Middenhall design. I like the uh, the one in I like five, right. uh, you know, where he looks like a shepherd, has the turban and all. I like that one a lot. I like seven. Really? Um, yeah, the 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 little guy in seven with the little like cutesy green he, outfit. He's like a little wiener link. I, I, I don't know. That's like oh. I, I like I like that design. I like the luminary in eleven. Yeah, like like my favorite designs are all the ones where like. They're wearing hats or they have this luscious hair. And apparently I really <laughs> like spiky anime hair. Like uh, I've been playing the Final Fantasy VII remake and uh, Jennifer was watching me do it. And she's made. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. It's my turn to go. It's true. I know it's it's magnificent. But uh, there's the part where it is. And there's a part where uh, like Cloud has to dress up like a girl and do the uh, uh, like cross-dressing thing. And there's yeah. a part where they just give him extensions, but don't adjust any of the spiky hair and jennifer was making fun of it so bad they were like they just can't get rid of the spiky hair but they can give us some of the worst extensions i've ever seen and it's really funny to me that uh, that's such a thing like they couldn't get rid of that uh, that spiky hair but it's it's become something that i like on characters so when i see like the luminary not have it i'm like why couldn't you have eric's hair it's like i like eric's like spiky anime hair yeah i don't know the the toriyama spiky hair and like uh, tetsuya nomura is very uh, hardcore about doing spiky hair as well and they're just i don't know i just don't like those designs nearly as much as as like hats and things but anyway you have parade gate i have it's hair true. Gate. i like his hair um most people don't you hate the parade when literally everyone else in the world does. i prefer <laughs> things that are enjoyable rather than things that are not well i know that's not true because you like the final fantasy 7 remake <laughs> finger <guns. laughs> um so we have a lot more to discuss about the Luminary. We got to talk about him in the story, and his story is pretty interesting. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, it is time for Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless! Quick, 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 shameless. So uh, we have a Patreon page that is at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm and i'm gonna let bj tell you guys a little and bit about it you can it. go to patreon.com slash dragonquestfm like austin just said to get all sorts of really cool stuff the primary thing being you know you get dragon quest stickers uh dragon quest fm stickers rather you can get a discord role of erdrick's long lost cousin to talk about uh to talk with us we have a tier where you can tell us what you want us to talk about so you can give us show topics and every single patron gets entered into a giveaway every month to get a $10 eShop gift card, uh, whether you are at the lowest or the highest uh, tier. So check that out and uh, support us, please. I like how you were using like a pilot's voice uh, when you first started doing that whole thing. You're like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please uh, fasten <laughs> your seatbelts and uh, we will see you very quickly. Thank you for flying with us. I know you have uh, a lot of choices when you fly with BJ Airways, but uh, I would just like to thank you for flying with us. <laughs> That's what you sounded like, though. You sounded like you're about to fly an airplane. I wish. I got I got scared. I would not I would not like to be in an airplane. That Nobody would. That would be uh, that, would, <laughs> that would not be a good thing. So back to talking about the luminary. 
really quickly wanted to mention that uh, Famitsu fan right. survey. So the Luminary, if you've listened to all these previous episodes, you probably know what number he was just by, you know, process of elimination <laughs> there. Uh, but he was actually number five uh, behind Veronica in front of Hendrick. It's almost dead yeah. center uh, in terms of just the overall cast. He's like, you know, toward the end, but, but pretty close to the yeah, middle. There. And I mean, that that makes pretty good sense. He's kind of bland for the most part. I mean, he's the he's the hero, which there's nothing really exceptional about his personality, like standing out like Silvando or something. But he's also not like there's no reason to hate him and like dislike him. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's kind of like he, he doesn't have as much of a personality, so there's not as much to latch on to. Um, but yeah, but he's not terrible. So I, I, I expected him to be somewhere right. in the middle, so I'm not surprised that he is somewhere in the middle. I will say that I think it just in terms of like Dragon Quest protagonist, I think he's one of the best, if not like the best protagonist in terms of like personality and character, mm-hmm. just because they, they do so much with him in 11 that they don't necessarily do with other Dragon Quest games, but just looking outside of Dragon Quest and talking about other video game protagonists, especially silent protagonists in video game series, I don't know. I thought they did a very good job of letting the Luminary have like some personality and some like actual like characterization. Yeah, they really did. Like the, uh, you know, in terms of silent protagonists, like you said, as they go, he, I know him more than I know like eight or something like that. Yeah. And I think I think 8 has a pretty good one too, but like you know like Dragon Quest 6, as much as I love Dragon Quest 6, you know that hero I just feel like is kind of there. He looks cool, you know, he does have that blue hair, like he's fine, but like I don't know. Uh so with but with the luminary kind of like uh Gamer Prince 1999 said that I mean he does go through that character development, especially, you know, in act 1 I feel like he's much more of an observer. He's almost that traditional Dragon Quest yeah. protagonist where he's just kind of, he has this like sometimes naive, almost like stoic expression on his face where he kind of just looks like a dum-dum yeah. to be honest. Like it's like an expressionless, like I'm watching these events around me kind of look in act one. But then in act two, like he, he gets his facial expressions, you know, they're a lot more like determined and stuff now. Like he's, he is embracing his destiny and gonna save the world now. And he looks a little tougher, you know, his, his brow is more furrowed and he just, he looks more driven. I yeah. Guess. Where, confident. yeah. Confident where he's been through this stuff and he's like, yeah, this, I'm not evil. I'm not going to let them, you know, put the world against me. I think they did a good job with that kind of development, but then also I think they did a really good job of, giving his backstory so much character and and layers and stuff that it made him feel like a more developed character than he really is Mm. because of all the stuff that happens in his backstory. That's true. Like early in, early in act one, you even have like these, this really sad moment with Chalky, the the old man who raised you, you know? And he like, he talks about, you know, about just like life and death and love and all these things. And then his ghost fades away and it's like three hours into the game. And it's just like, Oh man, like, Dragon Quest Eleven, you're like hitting me hard already. Yeah, I know, right? Like that was one of the most heart wrenching scenes in the game, and honestly, from mostly any RPG, like that one's like, man, like it, it's one of those things that Dragon Quest does really well is put these characters in there that you don't know that you're going to care about, 
and let you them hit you emotionally when the rest of the game or the surrounding narrative has been kind of goofy and then it's like oh you're a you're a person that makes me sad yeah you know and then there's also the stuff with you know dendrosil being this like lost prince of dendrosil your parents are dead it's very it's very similar to that in dragon quest 5 which now that we mention it you know 5's protagonist might be a little bit more developed than than 11 yeah. just because i mean you watch you watch him be born you play as him as a kid as an adult you have like a family with him <laughs> you have like kids as him like it's just you know i mean it's hard to beat that but still uh you know the the whole stuff with dundrasil and, and that relationship with like erwin and, and his mom who you don't see as right. much as erwin with eleanor is still like I, I feel like all of that stuff kind of like accumulates over time and gives him more of personality than he really does because you you see all this his backstory Mm -hmm. and so it makes him feel like a character even though when we're playing it like in when we're playing it for real he doesn't talk he doesn't say much he's just he's there and the parent thing is you're right about that and also i think having rab in your party having his grandpa travel with him where he can talk about it and talk about what used to be and how things were and about his parents and things like that really make him feel more fleshed out yeah and and jade too you know talking about yeah you have these characters who know who knew him as a kid or as a baby or and how dundrasil once was so it kind of fleshes everything out better exactly yeah and then also, he does talk as a kid. Does. And it's weird. It's odd. <laughs> and I actually got excited at this. The first time I played through it, I got excited because he talked as a kid. And I thought that meant that they were moving into the realm of speaking protagonists. And I was like, cool, we're going to actually hear him. And then when you get his voice in the Switch version, you turn it off real quick. It's just, yeah, it's it's what I call link uh-huh. noises. It's like, I hated it. Like, I thought it was going to be great. And uh, I didn't really think about having it turned on. And because I went in and saw it, and I'm obviously turning it on. And then there was one part, I think it was actually uh, when I got to the world tree where he was jumping. And uh, that was when I noticed how annoying it was. And I was like, I bet that's all it was. And went and turned it off. And sure enough, the game became a lot less, uh, a lot less annoying at that point. Yeah. You texted me asking me about it. And I even, t- I told you it was link noises. At yeah. The time. It, and you were like, you're like, oh man, really? That's all. I like silent protagonists. Right. I don't like them talking because I get so annoyed with characters who talk. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, like you know, last week I I tried playing Fairy Fencer F, uh, like Dark Advent, right. whatever it's called. I bought it because it had uh, Yoshitaka Amano art on it. That's right. Why I bought the game. So I didn't buy it because I was just like, oh, man, I got to play this game. But since I bought it, I played it and not a fan. One of the reasons is because the protagonist is so unbearable. Like I can't stand not only for him to speak, but just to have to read his like dialogue. Really? Yeah. They, they ham up this whole thing like that. He's like this just this like teenage dude and all he thinks about is food okay but it's like literally every sentence he speaks is about wanting food or can i taste food or hey you got any food and it's just it's a joke that gets old after like the third time and an hour into the game he's done it like 400 times and it's just like super annoying like that's like just it's beating a dead horse and then once you don't have a dead horse you beat the ground where the dead horse once was Ah, yeah (laughs) i mean it's just like 
way too much. And so, and a lot of a lot of talking protagonists uh, fall under two categories for me. You have the whiny, annoying ones like Tidus from Final Fantasy X mm-hmm. that I can't stand, or you have the like too cool for school protagonists, right? Right, and I I really can't stand either one of them. <laughs> so for me, the silent protagonist is really nice because, like, I can just play through it. I don't have to hear anybody. I don't have to hear anybody whine. I don't have to hear anybody be like this incessant, like too cool for school guy. And it's just like it's fun. I can just do it, you know. And it's there's also the like young farm boy style luke skywalker character who is getting in over their head and doesn't know how to handle it sometimes when they're when they're speaking uh like lunar has that lunar and uh some of the other games like that would have the younger uh character and then i like it when the character speaks and has a personality the main character and the other characters, whether I like them or not, the other characters comment on their personality a lot. Like I found that in Tales of the Abyss, the main character is incorrigible. He is just terrible. Like it is, he is awful. And that is the point of his character is to get him from, you know, being this way and kind of growing as a human being. And at every turn, when he does something really, really unbearable, the characters comment on it. Be like, dude, seriously? And I've actually noticed that with the too cool for school thing with Cloud and Seven Remake, he does something like that. And somebody around him is always just like, dude, you need to be nicer to people. You got to stop this. Where that kind of thing, when they bring that personality into the uh, narrative is when I like it the best, as opposed to that just being an archetype that they that they play. Otherwise, yeah, I can totally see why you prefer the the silent protagonists who are just kind of there and have the the world explained around them yeah i don't know i'm all for silent protagonists to 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 borrow one of your phrases if i had my druggers (laughs) every protagonist would be silent and so for me when he talks as a kid i did not like that part very much because i'm like he doesn't talk and so it's really jarring to have your little kid self talk to you it is jarring because then i mean the whole point that like Yuji Hori talks about having silent protagonists is that you can be the hero, you can be the character Mm -hmm. and that you hear stuff in your voice. And so even though it's just a kid, it still kind of defeats that purpose because, you know, he does have a British accent. Like Brad said, he does, uh, you know, he has an accent and I have an accent, but it's a Southern accent. So for me, seeing my little kid self have this British accent, I'm like, huh? <laughs> See, and I never <laughs> really put myself in. Like, that's one thing about, about it for me is like, I don't really see myself in these characters. Like, I'll do that in a lot of them where they're uh, they're meant to be that kind of blank slate uh, uh, proxy within the story. But this, for some reason with the Luminary and uh, a lot of RPG characters, I don't feel that that kind of, of connection like that. Even if the Luminary talked in this one, like as an adult, it wouldn't have bothered me that the kid talks. It's just the fact that he is silent mm. and then the kid talks. Right. And like really just, I don't know, it's, there's something so jarring about it. Oh, it was jarring. Absolutely. That's why I was excited that he was going to be a speaking protagonist and then he wasn't. And it's like, what? It's like, why? Yeah. Why did he like, when did he become mute? Like, I was just wondering why you thought he was a speaking protagonist in the first place, though. Because he talked as a kid. Like when I got to that point initially, I thought it was going to indicate that he was going to start talking. Oh, even though he'd been quiet for like three hours? Yeah. You just thought he was going to like all of a sudden be like, hey, Eric, 
yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if he can talk then, he can talk now. Yeah, okay, then, I, I got you. I guess that makes sense. I, I never thought about it that way. Like, maybe kind I of open you. something up where, like, I don't know. It was, but it did not happen. Yeah, so he his voice actor, because we've been talking about voice actors in all these other episodes. He is voiced by uh, Rasmus Hardiker, hmm. um, who I looked up on IMDb and has, like, a ton of voice acting work. Um, he, he has been on, uh, Thomas, the tank engine and friends, uh, doing voice work on there huh. for like forever from what I can tell. Um, there's, you know, the usual BBC shows like you would expect on all these actors to have, right. I feel like all of them have that. Uh, he was also a character, not voice acting, but a character in that terrible James Franco, Danny McBride, Natalie Portman movie, your highness. Oh man. I never saw all of that. Like, I just, somebody started it. I was at their house. I don't even remember when. Somebody started it. It was so bad I left that I don't remember who or when that was, but I remember that happening. He was also on uh, the, the sci-fi DC series uh, Krypton that huh. survived for, like, a very few episodes. <laughs> I saw some trailers for that, and it looked bad, and I did not ever think about it again. The... Credit of his that I'm most interested in is uh, very recently he was in a movie called Cockneys versus Zombies. That I would watch in a heartbeat. Which, based on its viewership score, is not a very good movie. Well, no, at all. Of course, it's not. But it is about uh, you know, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Cockneys versus Zombies. I don't even have to explain the plot to you because the title says it all. Sometimes you see a movie, you know it's going to be terrible, and you're like, I'm going to watch that. I'm, I would enjoy watching that bad movie. Yeah. And so this one is, you know, it says it's a horror comedy. It looks like maybe yep. it's going for like a, a Shaun of the Dead type right. uh, vibe. But yeah. It, uh, the summary is just a gang of bank robbers fight their way out of a zombie infested London. So, sounds sounds right. I know. Sounds so good. I uh, and you can watch it for free on IMDb TV. So after this, I think I'm gonna go to my Amazon account on my TV and and use, and watch that using IMDb. TV. That of course it. Yep. Good. <laughs> so you can do it for free. So hooray, Cockneys versus zombies. We're gonna have to watch this and i know it's going to be terrible and i know i'm going to hate it but that's not going to stop me from watching and it. you're going to have to go and do a patreon cast about that one then there's the luminary in act two which is some of my favorite parts of the game right uh, you get turned into a fish you do and i don't understand why everyone loves it like it's fine like everybody like goes nuts over this and so i was expecting something really really awesome and i'm like yeah i'm swimming around as a fish but the, I didn't get to do anything as a fish, really. You, you swim around Nautica, and Nautica's very, like, this beautiful underwater kingdom, and you go around as a fishy and, like, talk to the animals because you're a fish, you can understand them. You do. Like, what's not to love about I, it? I don't like underwater levels. You're getting very close to another parade gate thing. Are we going to have fish gate now? I think we're going to have fish gate because, like, it's not that I disliked it. It's that I don't see the the why that one gained such a uh, such momentum because it's cool but at the same time i don't like underwater levels so i was trying to get out of it as quickly as possible i don't even think it's a, of as, as, as an underwater level it's not like mario or donkey kong or something where there's like 
things that are going to kill you or anything. I mean, it's totally just exploration. Having to swim around in a 3D underwater world, never liked it. I don't Any know, game, man. Never. Mario 64 was like maybe the first one I'd played like that. Maybe Bubsy 3D had an underwater world like that. I just don't like them. Here, here's the reason it's great is because <laughs> is because I need you to name a game in which the bad guy wins, all your friends might be dead, and you magically appear as an animal. That you're not wrong. Like that is a very unique premise. It's yeah. just, and it's cool. Like he looks really cool as the fish. Like I, I like the fish. I just like I just want to get this over with because I don't like being underwater. Yeah, I don't know. I loved it. I love underwater and ocean stuff anyway. It's true. Um, and I think the fish design is done really well. Yeah. Um, I really like him uh, as a fish. I thought they did a good job of making the fish look like him while still like making keeping it a fish. <laughs> right. And I love Nautica. I, I love the whole look of Nautica. I love everything there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like the fish and I like my little, I have a little fish luminary figure and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. And didn't, was it uh, Grace or was it uh, your aunt who did the uh, luminary fish face painting for a bit? Uh, yeah, uh, my aunt did. She did it on her arm. Yeah, she just okay. did it as part of her, like, she does painting. She does one painting a day on, yeah. like, uh, of, like, face or body art. And, yeah, she did, like, a, it was a, it was the luminary as a fish. And I believe it had a slime and maybe yeah. a taco on it. I can't remember. Right. I just, um, for some reason, I thought she had incorporated that into the, uh, the rotation of doing stuff at events. No, no, no. Uh, that was just like a cool Dragon Quest thing she just did. Yep. Um, so anyway, I like that part. Like the parade stuff that you didn't like. And I just like that he's, uh, you know, this, this tougher character uh, mm-hmm. in Act 2. And then in Act 3, um, he kind of makes maybe he, one of the toughest decisions any hero has had to make is he uses a sword to like destroy time. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a big, big decision. Yeah. Like I even, the first time, I don't think I've even told you this. The first time I played it on PS4 and it was like, are you sure you want to do this? Um, because I was just going through the story beats, you know? Right. And then it's like, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, to lose time is to lose much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh crap. I don't know. Do I want to do this? And so I clicked no. I think I clicked no the first time. Yeah. And then Googled it because I was like, am I going to lose like all my levels? What's going to yep. happen? And then after after I read on Google that it, where they were like, no, you get your levels back uh, just after a couple of hours. I was like, OK, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do it then. I'm so glad I did because, you know, the whole last third of the story is, is right. at that point. Uh, so, like, I'm really glad that I did did it. But just the way the way they talked about it made it seem like such a serious, big decision. Yeah, and I clicked no the first time, too, because like I don't know if I want to do this. I may want to play more of the game. Like I don't know what's coming next. And uh, yeah, so it, it does. They put a lot of weight on that for him, and it's, uh, it's a decision that uh, feels more serious than a lot of others in RPGs. Mm-hmm. And one thing I just wanted to kind of, let's call it speculation, I don't know, guessing at this point, is like, how much does he remember about everything? Because it seems like he he's not supposed to remember everything that happened to him in Act 2, right? Yeah, I don't think so. But he does seem to, like, remember some stuff. Yeah. But then there's some stuff that he doesn't remember. It's really odd the way that they've handled some of it. So, I don't know. Like, the time... Whenever you mess with time in video games or... 
or movies or TV or anything, it always just like you have to suspend disbelief even more because parts of it aren't going to make sense. And it's just like, let's move on with the story. And I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying like, that's one thing that kind of like, I never could quite figure out because there's some things where he seems to definitely remember. Um, it's like, I guess it's almost like just like hints. It's like, he doesn't really remember everything, mm. but then there's just like little, like maybe deja vu moments that he has, like with not, True. like with not trusting the King, you know? Right. It's like he he doesn't flat out just like stab the king with his sword as soon as he walks up to the throne because he's like, no, you are Mordigan. But then at the same time, he's not like super trusting. Yeah, he's not like, hey, you're my buddy now. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just it's kind of like a weird it's just kind of a weird thing uh, to me. So very final thing. This is our last character spotlight in Dragon Quest XI. And this ties into the Luminary. So getting into just kind of a little bit of like, I guess, lore is what you would call it. Right. Uh, with these games uh, is the ending for this game. Right. Okay. So at the end, the Luminary receives the title of Erdrick mm-hmm. from a dragon. Is it the Zenith dragon? Who knows? But it's a dragon. They call it the Eid dragon in 11 yep. at least. But he's bestowed the title of Erdrick. Okay. Is upon him. So is bestowed upon him. So he's got the title Erdrick now. And then it shows different things happening through time. The dragon even talks about, you know, possibly, you know, turning to evil eventually and being bad and then having to be brought back to the light. Right. Um, And then it shows the hero from one hanging out on a mountaintop there. Yep. And then the game ends. And then there's like this little like scene at the very end where it's the opening of Dragon Quest three, where your mom is like, cooey. (laughs) And, you know, you see like the hero from three's hair right there. Yep. So my, my thinking behind this and, and, you know, I mean, this is just pure like speculation, but my thinking behind it is that like, in I guess if you're trying to pick a chronological order for all these like mainline games, it seems to me that 11 is like the earliest one. Yes. It seems like it to me as well. Like that's the way that, the entire thing feels is like it comes before three. Yeah. Like it's a prequel to all of the, uh, the original trilogy. Yeah. And to kind of further that there's even, you know, you even see the mom, she puts the book on the shelf there before going to wake you up, Yep, which kind of implies that this has already happened and it's now kind of become a legend already. Yep. Um, and you know, they, at the end of dragon quest three, you're given the title Erdrick again. Yep. <laughs> um, like I, I know we and, you know, most people in the fandom call that hero Erdrick, but you know, it's still just a title a title. Yeah. That also implies that, Hey, other, other heroes have held this title before. It's very interesting because it implies that it's before at least any of the Erdrick trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff with the rest of the games, the other games, like, like who knows? I have not found any like concrete, uh, stuff with that the, the the like secret ending or whatever of six makes me think that six is supposed to be like the earliest in terms of like the zenithian stuff okay see i don't actually um, know about the secret ending on it do you want me to tell you yeah spoilers for y'all yeah spoilers for for six so at the end it shows uh terry terry it goes in it's after like all the nocturnist stuff that like changes the boss with mortimer and all this stuff yeah. but anyway there's an egg that's hatching that 
I, I assume is the Zenith Dragon hatching. Right. It doesn't say that that's what it is, but I assumed it was the Zenith Dragon hatching, which would make sense. Yeah, I mean the way that uh, that the ser- that series is set up, I guess the trilogy is set up. Why else would they show you a dragon hatching? I mean, I mean it's an egg, but well, yeah, but yeah, I think that's what they were going for. Uh, but also, you know, the Zenithia trilogy, especially. Like it experiments with like birth and rebirth and everything, yeah, kind of like Eleven does, and so so it's kind of hard to tell, you know, is that like the Zenith Dragon being reborn, or is it the Zenith Dragon like hatching again and then it sets you know up for four and five mm. and everything. Anyway, I've just always wondered about that. But either way, with Eleven, I assume based on its ending that that means that Dragon Quest Eleven is supposed to be before the Urgic Trilogy, and it also kind of brings up things like alternate timelines, you know, with smashing time. Right. Right? Because, I mean, you go back, so are there, like, two different timelines going on now? Are they doing, like, a Zelda thing uh, <laughs> where there's, like, multiple timelines, you know, you have to worry about? Where does that go with it? Yeah. To me, I'm not super, like, hardcore into exploring this kind of stuff because, to me, I get the enjoyment from playing the games. I get the enjoyment from like the gameplay mechanics the characters playing through the games like that's the part i enjoy so i don't necessarily like spend inordinate amounts of time like reading up on lore or like even like trying to figure these things out i like it i like shared universes a lot and so one of the things i like about zelda you know saying that is that the idea of these alternate timelines and how things broke apart uh and tra- and progressed but at the same time it's not something that is that defines the series for me or like when i see something that's shared among them i'm like oh yeah that's cool look again and in this one that kind of thing as opposed to uh being like well did this canon come from that like how does all this tie together like i don't even think about that when i'm playing the games and that's kind of how i am with like secret endings like this or the ending with the, with uh, him being called erdrick i see the beginning of three and i'm like yep that's what he was. He's the uh, the first Erdrick. So, mm-hmm. like he's the yeah. he's the big the big bad granddaddy of them all. You know, tying it back to what we were talking about at the very beginning. If he is the first Erdrick, the one that they're talking about being so powerful and uh, you know living up to his legend and all of this, it makes sense why he's so powerful and OP across the entire game, where uh, he lives up to that. Based on what you and I were saying, yeah. So there you go. Interesting stuff. We're going to, we'll end with all of that deep thoughtfulness for you guys. <laughs> We're no Jack Handy, but we leave you with deep thoughts. Oh. See what I did there? No. Oh, I'm glad this is the end of the episode because that's where I would have turned this off. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys for listening to this episode and, and all of our Dragon Quest Eleven character spotlights. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about some new things. Uh, remember, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can. We are at DragonQuestFM. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DragonQuestFM and Patreon at Patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. If you want to talk to me, I am on Twitter at DragonQuaston. And I have a 
weekly uh, Dragon Quest blog. That is at dragonquestaustin.com. And I am on Twitter as at Professor Beige. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, the Geek to Geek podcast, on uh, Wednesday nights at 7 whenever we release. And then you can find the Geek to Geek media network that we're a part of at geek2geekmedia.com, where you can find video game reviews, live streams, blogs, just all sorts of good stuff, uh, and find links to our Slack and Discord there as well uh, at geek2geekmedia.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.